Well, if you have your Bible today, I want you to go to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2 and John 14. Acts chapter 2 and John 14. We're continuing in a series called Holy Fire. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. And I believe God is awakening us. Now listen, today uh, um, I, I, I want you to, to listen carefully. I don't have a particularly long message today, but there is something that God wants to say, and I believe a response that God is desiring from both his people and those who do not know him as Lord and Savior. So today, as we're diving into this moment of saying, as a congregation, as a people, we want to understand the Holy Spirit. As I've been saying for weeks, I believe we are headed into perilous times. They are already upon us. And there is a great shaking that is happening in the world. But the answer that God gives the church for the shaking in perilous times is the person of the Holy Spirit. That is his answer. That's what he gives us. He gives us himself. And unfortunately, uh, many people in the church, like me, we don't, we don't have much of a background of really even understanding who Holy Spirit is, how he moves, and what he's like. What you need to understand is that we need the presence of God in our lives. Come on, look at your neighbor and tell him, you need the presence of God in your life. You need it. Some, man, some of y'all are saying that with conviction. Man, you must know something. Come on. You see, when the first explanation of the Holy Spirit coming upon believers was given, I believe that you actually catch a glimpse of the perilous times and the fact that the Holy Spirit is the answer in perilous times. Acts 2, 14 through 21, when Peter stood up to explain this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. When? In the last days, God says, I will pour out out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men see vision. Your old men dream dreams. On my men servants and maid servants, I'll pour out of my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show. Here's here's the perilous times. Wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the coming of the great 
great and awesome day of the Lord, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here we see, yes, there's shaking going on in the world, but God says, my answer is to pour out my spirit on sons and daughters. Now listen, church, we have got to get a thirst and a hunger for the person of the Holy Spirit. The times demand it. We are in the last hour. And if we are not awakened by the Spirit of God in this moment, I fear we will miss our last hour assignment in God. And we don't want to miss it. We want to be like the sons of Issachar who understood the times so they knew what to do. That's First Chronicles chapter 12. When you understand the times and you're empowered by God's Spirit, you begin to know what to do. But uh, let's, let's be honest, sometimes our religious experience has left us blind to the very things that we need in God. And if we grow up in an atmosphere where no one talks about the Holy Spirit, matter of fact, when I bring up the Holy Spirit, some of you in this room get nervous. Like, oh no, what's he going to say about the Holy Spirit? What's going to happen? Here we go, talking about the Holy Spirit again. What are you doing, Pastor Otis? You're trying to drive people away? No, I'm trying to drive people into the destiny that God has for them. When God says in the last hour, you will prophesy when the Spirit comes upon you. If you're not prophesying, it could be that religion has robbed you of the possibility of what God wants to do for you. In you and through you. So this morning, I want us to know, I want everybody to know, we believe that every believer, man and woman, baptized in the Holy Spirit, you can all function in all the gifts. All of you can function in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. All of you. Men and women. <laughs> One day I'll do a whole sermon. On, on just so why everybody can, uh, so people can understand the context of why there was silence needed in the meetings that, that Paul was called, calling for. He wasn't trying to silence daughters who were meant to prophesy. We need understanding. In the last hour, there will be men and women motivated by the Spirit of God saying what God is saying. And he says here, there will be rich and poor. Poor men servants, those who, uh, those who are, are not financially well off. He says, I'm going to pour my spirit out. And he goes, and there will be no difference in them. Your economics does not determine your value in the kingdom. It is, am I under the control of the Holy Spirit? Am I living in love? Am I walking in his grace, in his, in his hope? Am I walking in his power? Your economics do not determine your usefulness in God's kingdom. Your availability to be used by God is what determines your, 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 your usefulness to the kingdom. Now, we need to know the Holy Spirit. we got to know him. So we... we, we I think sometimes here in our charismatic and, and, and Pentecostal circles, we're more familiar with his function than we are with who he is. 
We're, we're more familiar with what he does than who he is. This is an important distinction. Because if I'm only familiar with the function, I won't live in intimacy with him. Meaning that if, it, let, let's, just, let's just take a step back from Holy Spirit because we're, we're like suddenly, I, man, it's hard for me to identify with him. Let's just go to Jesus. You know, if you're only familiar with what Jesus does, there will be an intimacy that you miss because you will never get to know who he is. It's the same God. He's the same God. So I don't want you to just understand the function or the gifts that flow out of his person. I want you to begin to have an intimacy with him, to know him intimately. Now, John 14, uh, 15 to 16, wonderful passage where Jesus is, is really teaching right before he would go to the cross and, the, and John 14 15 says this if you love me keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him but, listen to what he was saying to his disciples, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be, speaking of Pentecost, in you. Now, I, I, you, you can't miss this. He says, you know him. Disciples are meant to know Holy Spirit. And if you get nervous when I mention Holy Spirit, that is not God. That's not God. That's something else. That's your religious background. That could be you going, oh man, if I get to know Holy Spirit, maybe he's going to ask me to do things I don't want to do. Oh, that's likely. Especially when he says things like this, go on a three-day fast. Oh, no, my flesh. No, it says for three days, go to fast food. That's what my flesh says. <laughs> Here's what you need to know, 2 Corinthians 3.17. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So the Holy Spirit, when you first begin to know him, you need to know him that he's God. He's God. He's not a force to be manipulated. Uh, he's not something that just, he's not a, uh, you know, just a, a substance that makes our services wonderful. It's not something that, oh, we just put a little dose of the Spirit, a little dose of songs, a little dose of preaching, and we, we got to get, if we just get the right mixture. No, the Holy Spirit is God. And when he comes, he comes and he liberates. Beautiful. Notice the words in John 14 that describe the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, it says, he may, it neither sees him or, notice these words, know, nor knows him. You know him. He dwells. What do we have to surmise from this? The Holy Spirit is a person. 
The Holy Spirit is a person. And we have to wrap our minds around this. And why is this important? You say, why, Pastor Alice, are you bringing this up? Here is why. You never develop a relationship with an it. You'll never develop, well, you may try. If you're weird and super granola walking around barefoot, you may try to develop a relationship with your trees. You're out grounding and, you know, and you're getting one with nature and everything and you haven't shaved your armpits in a long time. I use a rock for deodorant. I don't know what you're, you know, people are trying to connect with it all the time. But you never, you never will develop a meaningful relationship with the Holy Spirit if he is an it to you. There are entire movements that have reduced the Holy Spirit to a force or power. That is false doctrine. It's not biblical. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses say. That's what Mormons say. And listen, he's not a force or just a power. He's a person. Now, I'm going to give you this today. Can I, can I teach you the Bible a little bit today? And then, then we'll, we'll get into the response time. I want to teach you some things because... If we're really supposed to grow in our knowledge of the Holy Spirit, we need to get to know him. First of all, you need to see this. He has a will. If you're going to know he's a person, he's a person because he has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. It says the gifts, the, the function that he does... Through people, he does it as he wills. He has his own will. Notice the will of the Holy Spirit being exerted in the life of Paul in Acts 16. It says, now when they had gone through Phrygia and into the region of Galatia, they were, listen to this, forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Wait a minute, y'all reading this? This is after Jesus has said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And then there comes a moment where the Holy Spirit says, do not go and preach in Asia yet. By the way, this, this region of Asia Will is the is actually the area that that eventually experiences a, a wonderful move of God. Jesus actually speaks to the churches in that in in that region in the book of Revelation. They're all in that area, modern day Turkey. And it says they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. And after they come uh, to Mysia, they tried to go down to Bithyn- uh, Bithynia and. But the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia stood pleading with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So what do we see here? The Holy Spirit has a clear 
will for Paul and his companions. He has a will. Now, uh, the number one question I've gotten over, you know, soon to be the, le- the, the last 22 years here at Calvary um, is this. How do I hear God? Seems like some people who are hearing God, how do I hear God? Number one by far question. Number two question, I mean, th- I mean these are the top two right there. They're real close. Is pastor, what's the will of God for my life? What's the will of God for my life, and how can I know the will of God for my life? Well, let me give you uh, some answers that, that I believe God is going to help us with this morning. First, the general will of God is his word. You cannot ignore the general, broad-sweeping, logos, written word of God to us. This is the will of God for us. However, it's, this is not the Lord saying to you uh, some very specific things. Like, okay, where do I go? Where do I live? Who do I call? Who do I bless? What you need to understand is that this word is the foundation of the general will of God in our life, but the specific will of God is revealed by the voice of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's why I get asked so much. How do I hear God and what's the will of God for my life? Why? Because those two go together. I want to hear God, and I want to know what his will for my life is. I mean, and, 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 please, and, and please excuse me if, if, if there's some people in here who thought, well, I just thought I would, uh, you know, get saved and then just try to live a good life, just making up, you know, whatever I want to do, that's what I'll do. I'm just going to live a good life. No, that's not what we do. We actually get born again and completely lay our lives down. We take up our cross and we follow him. And the only way we can follow him, according to Romans 8, 14, is to be led by the Spirit. In your relationship with the Holy Spirit, Have you ever asked this question? What do you want to do today? Some of you all are like, "Uh, no, I haven't. Most of of us are just getting ready real quick, running out the door late and say, please, Holy Spirit, will you come with me? And that's kind of how we live our lives. I need your help. (laughs) Do you see what's going on down here? (laughs) And then the Holy Spirit's saying, hey, hey, hey. Uh, do you see what's going on over here? Or do you not have time for what I want to show you, what I want to speak to you, how I want to lead you? I, I want to I invite you into greater intimacy with the Holy Spirit in your prayer times by asking, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do today? Who do you want to love through me today? Who do you want me to pray for today? How do you want me to change the atmosphere of uh, at my work? How do you want me to carry you in my school? How, Holy Spirit, do you want to bless the neighbors? Would you tell me? And the Holy Spirit will speak. He'll reveal his will, and it includes you. 
Let me give you another uh, thing. Uh, another reason you know the Holy Spirit's a person is he has a mind. He has a mind. John 16 says this. It says, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. Let me just give you some, some good old-fashioned good preaching. If the Spirit will guide you, it means he knows the way. And if the Spirit will speak to you, it means he knows exactly what to say. Oh, boy. And if the Spirit will tell you things to come, it means he knows the future. i got to tell you, far too long the church has been relying on intellect when we need to learn that the Holy Spirit is omniscient. We learn this about God. We said, God, you are omniscient, but we have not attributed that characteristic to Holy Spirit. Omniscient is, is two words, and uh, in, in the Greek, it, it, it means omniscience, basically. It means all knowledge. The science, by the way, means knowledge. All knowledge. And wisdom is demonstrated in the life of a believer when you follow the leadership of the Spirit, the possessor of all wisdom. I'm going to say that again. Wisdom is demonstrated in the life of a believer when you follow the leadership of the Spirit, the possessor of all wisdom. That means when you're saying, God, what direction do I go? You can say, Holy Spirit, I know you already know the way. You speak, Lord, and I'll go in that direction. Lord, I know that there already is something you have planned for me. Lord, reveal your plan, and I will step into it. Lord, you know what the future holds. So, Lord, when I come to you and I say, Lord, would you show me things to come so I can prepare? By the way, will he show you everything? Not likely. You know why? Because you would foul that up big time. I would. The whole story, I try to jump over a few chapters, get right to the end. No, God reveals to us exactly what we need in the process and place that he needs us to go through. Refining us and making in us the character and the nature of Christ as we're following the leadership. Listen, not only is God wanting you to reach people, he is actually wanting to reform you. He is making something in you in the process of trusting him, getting to know him as a person, trusting that his will and way are the best way. Let me give you this last one. The Holy Spirit is a person because he has emotions. I, I think it begs to say, it's my brother in prayer this morning, I believe that God is actually, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal his emotions in just a moment here. My brother said, so, so are you saying that God is emotional? The answer to that question is, is it depends on what you mean by emotional. 
Most people, when they say you're emotional, it means your emotions are out of control, and God is never out of control. I'm telling you, if God ever got out of control, this whole world would fall out of its orbit and be slung into space, and we would be done. I think sitting around the throne as those angels are singing and shouting, holy, holy, holy. If he just moved his little pinky, I mean, one of those multi-eyed creatures would shoot across eternity. I'm telling you, God is never out of control. However, the Holy Spirit has emotion. Galatians 5.22 says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit. He is saying, listen, the Holy Spirit possesses these emotions, and I realize that these are not only emotions but tied to his character, but they nonetheless are expressions of emotion. And what we need to see here is that the Spirit possesses these emotions, and they will manifest in the life of a, a submitted believer who is filled with God's Spirit. You say, I'm not just a very loving person. Well, well good. Get saved. Get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and a love that you could never muster on your own will manifest because it's coming not from you, but from the one who has taken up residence in your life. Amen. Listen, this is the way it works. Any of us who think that I will, I will be responsible for making these fruit come to pass in my life, you've missed what this just said. It says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of you. So if you lack love, you don't just need, uh, you know, a good dose of self-help books on love. You need a good dose of the Holy Ghost. Romans 5 says that there is a well of love within us that was placed there by the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand that these things flow, these emotions, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, they all flow from these emotions. But I want to give you one I want to give you one other. Now please listen to me, saints. You every saint and every a person who is seeking here this morning. Ephesians 4.30 says something very profound about the person of the Holy Spirit. It says this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, this word... In the Greek, this word that we translate grief, it means this. Sorrow associated with loss or separation. It's sorrow associated with loss or separation. 
Yeah, the alarm's going off. I pray it goes off in all of you as you're reading this. Let me give you today the context of the Holy Spirit's grief from Ephesians 4. Will you please allow yourself to take a deeper dive into knowing Holy Spirit and look at the context. It says, therefore, put away lying. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we're members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may, he may uh, have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Listen, if you see any of those things manifesting in your life, listen. It grieves the Holy Spirit. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, there are levels to this grief, and there, there's two really common areas that I want you to understand because you've got to rightly understand what it means. Because it's sorrow associated with loss or separation, that's what grief is. There's two, two ways that he grieves over people. First, he grieves over unbelievers. If you're here today and you are not surrendered to God and you have not experienced new life through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is grieving over you. Why? Because your sins still have you separated from God. He's grieving over you. It grieves him. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. And the good news is, is why would the Holy Spirit be grieved over those who are lost and separated? Here is why. Because Jesus has provided an ample way to be born again. Oh, we read it earlier out of Acts 2. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, if you're here today and you haven't surrendered to Christ, there is a grief in the heart of the Holy Spirit. He is longing for you to be redeemed and restored in right relationship relationship with God. Do you know, have you ever allowed yourself to feel the emotion of God over the value of your soul? Far too long. We have removed emotion from God and yet he says, don't grieve me. But in Ephesians 4.30, guys, listen to me. That's not just for the lost. That's written to the church. This is written to the church. This is written to those who have already been blood-bought, redeemed by the Lamb, washed and cleansed, and yet have gone back to sin. You say, then, then what kind of separation comes? Are you talking about losing your salvation? Absolutely not. 
There are far too many in the church that say this, I don't feel close to God. I feel a separation there. Perhaps we have grieved the Holy Spirit by ignoring his thoughts, by ignoring his direction. And listen, sin in the life of a believer doesn't separate you from being born again. But it will make you numb to his presence. It will make you numb to it. You live in sin, you will not know that God is near. When you continually resist the leading of the Holy Spirit, you'll grow numb. You'll grow numb. He's been knocking at the door. You've just been ignoring the knock. The anger, the malice, the unforgiveness, the things that he's been trying to deal with you. And then suddenly you come to me and you're like, I can't feel God. Well, God didn't go anywhere. But we welcome the thing that grieves him. And sin will make you numb to the presence of the Holy Spirit, the very one that we're supposed to be intimate with in the last day, the very one we're supposed to hear, the very one we're supposed to be empowered by, used by, strengthened by, the very one. And yet what we do is many times what we'll do is we have more of a connection to theology than the God of theology. Meaning like we'll get into sin and we'll say, well, God will forgive us. Well, that's, that's a nonsensical way to live. Ask any husband that cheats on his wife. She will forgive me. All these women in here, I'm not sure about that. That's a foolish way to live. Built on sinking sand. I've got good news when it comes to sin in the life of a believer. God doesn't hold a grudge. Aren't you glad that God is good? Aren't you glad that when he wants to turn the hearts of those who have been resisting the Holy Spirit, his answer, I'm sending fire down from heaven. I'm sending a move of my spirit. And I'm going to turn their hearts back to me. And they're going to know that I am good and my mercy endures forever. I'm sharing you this message. I, I'm really done sharing the message. I, when I was writing this and pinning these words, I noted the, how short it seemed to be. But this morning, a little after 4 a.m., I'm just minding my own business, sleeping. I'm just going to let you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't care if you're sleeping, if you're available to him. And whether I awoke and heard the voice, or whether I heard the voice and awoke, I do not know. But I heard these words this morning. Call on the mercy of God. Call on the mercy of God. 
And I begin to know that after I had already penned these words and everything said and everything was in, and I'm like, Lord, I, I have a sense of where you want to go, and I, I want people to know that you're aggrieved by the things that are in, my, in our lives that don't honor you. He said this, call on the mercy of God. And immediately resounding in my spirit, just early, four something in the morning, Ephesians 2, 4 says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. I'm here to tell you today, church, that in this last hour, we need the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And listen to me, friends. Hear me, church of the living God. You need to call on the mercy of God today. You need to act on the drawing of the Holy Spirit. Don't don't resist him. Don't run away. Don't close your ears. Don't close your heart. Stop thinking about what your neighbors will think, your family will think, and run to the mercy seat of God. Run into the presence of God, for he will abundantly pardon. He will abundantly pardon. I feel the drawing of God making us ready to host him in a fresh and new way. I feel him where, where we're ready to abandon sin. We're ready to, to jettison those things which make us numb to who he is and, and welcome a fresh move of his spirit. So we're so controlled and empowered by him. It can only say one thing. Jesus is alive. 